is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, Mormons, a Christian denomination, are not. What do Mormons believe and teach that are different from the body of Christ? What are some of the unusual practices and beliefs of Mormons? What is baptism for the dead? What secret rituals take place in the Mormon temples? Why do they wear special clothing? And what is marriage for eternity? Join us today as I interview Bill McKeever, the founder and director of the Mormon Research Ministry. This is Kay Meyer, president of Family Shield Ministries and your host for today's Family Shield program. Bill McKeever is my guest. He is the founder of uh, Mormonism Research Ministry with and he, he, when he founded that, he had the hope of informing the body of Christ about the differences between Mormonism and Christianity. He has also made an effort to reach out to many individuals who are members of the LDS Church with the truth of God's Word. His writings include the books Answering Mormons' Questions, Questions to Ask Your Mormon Friend, Mormonism 101, and in their own words, a collection of Mormon quotations. Bill lives in Salt Lake City with his wife. They have three grown children and eight grandchildren. Bill, welcome to Family Shield. Thank you, Kay. It's good to be with you. All right. Well, let me just ask the first question. Are Mormons part of the body of Christ? Well, that's, that's a very good question because that is one that is usually often asked whenever a conversation begins regarding the teachings of the LDS Church. You have to understand that the Mormon Church not only claims to be Christian, but they claim to be the only true church on the face of the earth. Mormonism teaches that after the death of the apostles, there was what was called a great apostasy. And this apostasy lingered on from the time the apostles died up until the time God, apparently, according to Mormon uh, belief, God showed up uh, to Joseph Smith, the founder of the Mormon movement. He claimed in what was called the first vision that he was visited by God the Father and Jesus, and that he was told by the personages that all the churches were wrong, their creeds were an abomination, and their professors were all corrupt. So while the Mormon Church certainly insists that it is Christian, it goes beyond that in saying that they are the, really the only true Christians on the face of the earth. Now that is that has caused some some problems with those of us that are on the outside because when you look at the teachings of the LDS church, you will find very quickly that their doctrines either deny or distort all of the basic tenets of the Christian faith. This is why Mormonism has not been embraced by the Christian community as part of the Christian fold. There are certain things that Christians have always believed and the Mormon Church denies, as I say, denies or distorts many of those basic beliefs. So, though they may claim to be Christian, our argument is based in what does the Bible have to say, and how does the Bible compare with what Mormon leaders have said? You bet. I remember some years ago doing a program with you about what they believe about God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we don't have time today to go into all of those details, but it wasn't what we believe. Not and, at all. and yet they use the same terms. Yes. 
And so that's often why Christians are confused. Right, and that's a very good point that you bring up, because many times when a Christian is talking to a member of the LDS Church, it's easy for them to walk away thinking that they agree on many issues, when in fact you've been talking two different languages but using the same words. (laughs) because they have a different dictionary than we do. That's right. That's right. So we need to be concerned, but we also need to show love and concern to them. Always, always. We're not saying they're not good people. Exactly, and that's another good point, because because the Mormons often will equate moralism with Christianity, so for you to challenge their claim of being Christian is also to challenge their claim of being a moral people. Mm -hmm. You bet. You bet. Well, we want to talk today about some of the unusual practices and beliefs of Mormons. And yet we also want to come back to the core teachings of the Bible, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, One of the things we want to talk about is their beliefs about baptism for the dead. I uh, We do an email newsletter, Bill, and when we sent out information about upcoming programs, I had somebody... uh, email me back saying, we just finished a long series on Mormonism at our church, Kay, and I never even heard of baptism for the dead. What is that? So tell our listeners about that teaching of the Mormons. Well, Mormonism allows for the opportunity uh, for those who have died without hearing the restored gospel as they understand it. That's the the Mormon version of the gospel as it was given through Joseph Smith. They allow them the opportunity, if they did not hear it during this mortality, to hear it in the next life. So what they believe is that if a person was to die without understanding what Mormonism really is, after they die and go to the spirit world, if somebody is baptized on their behalf, because Water baptism is essential for salvation in Mormon theology. And since there is no water in the spirit world, someone has to do it for the deceased vicariously. That's where the Mormons come in. They will go to a temple, and they will be baptized on behalf of the deceased, and then the deceased will have the opportunity to hear the restored gospel in the spirit world. If they embrace it, they have the opportunity to go to the celestial kingdom, the top level of the Mormon heaven. Now, this is where even a lot of Latter-day Saints seem to get involved in folklore, because some Mormons that I've talked to give the impression that even if you heard about Mormonism during your mortality and rejected it, you can embrace the baptism done for you after you die and then get into the celestial kingdom. That's not what Mormon leaders have taught. Mormon leaders have taught that if you hear the Mormon gospel during your lifetime and you reject it, but accept it after you die, the best you can possibly get is the second level of Mormon heaven, known as the terrestrial kingdom. So basically, in my opinion, I think the Mormons would probably do mankind a better service if the missionaries would not tell anybody about Mormonism and leave us completely ignorant That way we have a chance for going to the celestial if we hear the Mormon gospel in the next life, whereas if we hear it now and we don't believe it, we die and accept it in the spirit world. We only go to the second level. Uh, Mormons don't seem to agree with me on that, but it seems logically uh, possible that you'd have a better chance getting in the celestial kingdom if you never became a Mormon. Because once you become a Mormon, now you're required to keep all the laws and commandments. 
And I've never met a Mormon who is doing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and certainly that is a requirement. They are supposed to keep all the commandments of God if they hope to get into the top level of Mormon heaven, known as the celestial kingdom, and achieve what they call exaltation or godhood. So it's very much a works-oriented Oh, religion. everything about it is works. In fact, our position here on Earth right now, even down to our skin color, had something to do with how we performed in what Mormons call the pre-existence. Hmm. They, they believe that we all existed as one of God's spirit children, and there was this war in heaven that took place where Lucifer, one of God's children, the brother of Jesus, rebelled against his father and his brother Jesus, and took one-third of God's spirit children with him. Now, in Mormon theology, they became the demons. But they will, they do believe, and they say this to this very day. I mean, this is a modern teaching. This is not a 19th century teaching. That the skin color that we have and the geographical location in which we were born had something to do with our performance in the preexistence. Mm. And this is what ties in with why blacks were not allowed to hold the priesthood up until 1978. They were not as valiant, as some leaders have said, they were not as valiant in the preexistent, in that war in heaven, in fighting for the cause of Christ. They weren't neutral, and they weren't against God or, or Jesus, but they weren't as valiant as they possibly could have been, so they were still allowed to be born with a physical body, but because of that performance, that lacking performance in the preexistence, they would be prohibited from having the Mormon priesthood, which Mormonism teaches is essential if a Mormon male hopes to achieve godhood in the next life. So everything is all tied. Mm. It's all tied together. But now the Mormon Church when it comes to the black issue and the priesthood issue, they're acting, they have what I call this historical and doctrinal amnesia, (laughs) where now they don't seem to know why blacks were uh, banned from holding the priesthood. Well, certainly the leaders prior to 1978 very clearly understood that it had something to do with their performance in the preexistence. So the Mormon Church is not really being honest with either its own members or with the general public when it comes to the priesthood ban being lifted in 1978. So again, I think our listeners, as they're listening to this, can say, hmm, this doesn't sound like the Christian Church that I know, Jesus Christ, our Savior uh, of true God and true man, just a lot of different what I would maybe call strange teachings. We we talked a little bit about the baptism for the dead. Um, I know that Mormons have kind of gotten into uh, some challenges because they've also uh, baptized Holocaust victims, yes. Jewish yes. people. The, yeah, Tell us this, about this. that. Well, this caused a lot of problems for the Mormon Church back in the 1990s when it uh, it, it became public uh, knowledge that Mormons were going to their temples and being baptized on behalf of Holocaust victims. The Jewish community were really offended by this and demanded that the Mormon Church not do that any longer because you have to understand from the Jewish mindset, Holocaust victims... They feel that they died because they were Jewish. In their eyes, they, they died almost like martyrs. So you can see how sensitive that would be, and it would be very offensive for a, a Jewish person to think that their ancestors who died for being Jewish would all of a sudden change their religion in the hereafter and become Mormons. Mm-hmm. Now, 
I want to I want to be kind of fair on this. I don't think any Latter Day Saint going to a temple and being baptized on behalf of a Holocaust victim has any mischief involved. They're not doing it maliciously. I really think that a yeah, Mormon who is doing this is doing it out of the goodness of their heart to hopefully give the Jewish deceased person an opportunity to embrace what they feel is true. But there, I think both sides might be a little bit insensitive on this, because the, the Jewish community wants the Mormon Church to stop practicing what they believe to be true. In other words, change their doctrine to cater to their wishes. And at the same time, the Mormons feel that they must do this, and at that, in doing that, they become insensitive to the, the Jewish community. So it's a catch-22. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's really going to be solved completely, other than because the controversy came about again very recently, because after the Mormon Church promised that they would no longer do this, evidence came to the surface that it was still being done. In fact, uh, you have Anne Frank, for instance. Mm-hmm. She's been baptized by proxy about nine times. Wow. One time very recently, even after the Mormon Church promised that this would not go on any longer. Huh. I don't know if the Mormon Church can totally prohibit this from happening, because you have to police yeah. every single member who is going to the temple and baptizing on behalf of the dead. How does a person know if they go before the font in the temple and they are going to be baptized on behalf of a particular person? How does anybody really know at that time whether or not this is a Jewish Holocaust victim? Right. It would be almost impossible to police. So now the Mormon Church has come out with a new policy that if you knowingly baptize for a Holocaust mm. victim, you can lose your baptismal privileges. Oh um, this, this has just gotten to be such a, pu- a public relations nightmare oh. for the LDS Church. Wow. Well, I want to make some announcements, and then we'll come back and continue talking about Mormon beliefs. Uh, Each week, Family Shield offers a booklet, a resource to our radio listeners. This week, we're offering the booklet, When in Doubt, Read the Book. To receive a copy, call the Family Shield Response Center at 1-877-317-4326. Family Shield donors that send a donation of $25 or more during April will receive a complimentary copy of my book, Witnessing a Lifestyle. The 160-page book has four segments that include Witnessing Basics, Witnessing Begins at Home, Witnessing During Holidays, and Witnessing in the Community. We encourage our listeners to sign up to receive the Family Shield email newsletter on our homepage at www.familyshieldministries.com. You can learn you can listen to the program from the past month anytime and anywhere at www.globalgospelbeacon.com. You can also download the program to your phone and share it with a family member or friend. My guest today is Bill McKeever of Mormon Research Ministry, and their website is www.mrm.org. And on that website, they have just so much good information, hundreds of articles, and I would just recommend to our listeners that you look at their website. Remember, too, that Family Shield has recommended links on its website, Part of those links are apologetic organizations, and MRM is on that link. So if you forget what that 
Those letters were standing for Mormon Research Ministry. You can go to the Family Shield website under our recommended links. Uh, Bill, again, any other information you want to share right now with our listeners about your organization? No, we, we not only have the website, we also have a blog site called Mormon Coffee, where people are invited to join in with um, the conversation. Uh, there's links to it, uh, of course, from our homepage at mrm.org. Um, we also have a Facebook page uh, if people want to go there and, and contribute as well. Great. Wonderful. That is awesome. Uh, you're doing great things. And we um, we were talking a little bit about the baptism for the dead. Uh, do you have any other information you want to share about that before we go well, on to some other topics? It's just that uh, I think it needs to be stressed that this is a very important ordinance to the LDS people. In fact, Joseph Smith, uh, the founder of the Mormon movement, actually said that the greatest responsibility in this world that God has placed upon us is to seek after our dead. And this is why the Mormons feel uh, so determined to continue this practice. Now, again, we don't find any evidence of the early Christian church practicing mm-hmm. something like this. Yeah. We hear that verse, of course, in 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty nine: Else what shall they do which are baptized for the dead? If the dead rise not at all, why are they then baptized for the dead? But many scholars, and uh, D.A. Carson included, would say that notice very carefully how Paul switches to third person. He says, else what shall they do? Mm-hmm. He excludes himself from this practice. This is a very vague passage, and it's not good practice to build a huge doctrine on one verse. And this is the only time in the whole Bible where baptism for the dead is mentioned. It's a vague passage. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, the Mormons feel, because they have Latter-day Revelation, that they can fill in the blanks. But to do so is to negate what Scripture says in other places, and giving people an opportunity to embrace salvation after death is certainly not something that's found in the Bible. It's not even something that's found in the Book of Mormon. If you look at Alma chapter 34, it says that if you procrastinate the day of your repentance even until death, the devil has sealed you his, and this is the final state of the wicked. So they couldn't even support this from their own scriptural work, the Book of Mormon. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's talk about, we talked a little bit about the fact that this baptism for the dead is one of the temple rites. They do that in their temples. But uh, we also hear a little bit about the special garments. Can you explain a little yeah. bit to our listeners yeah. about these garments that Mormons will wear and why? Well, when a Mormon goes through the temple for the first time to do their endowments, is what they call it, they are given these garments that they are supposed to wear for the rest of their lives. It's not that they wear the same pair for the rest of their lives, but they make, uh, they make a commitment that they are actually going to wear these garments. They are called the garments of the holy priesthood, and they are supposed to uh, be worn by the patron and they are to remind the patron of the various oaths and vows that they made in the temple. There are certain things that Mormons must do. There are certain key words, they call them, certain grips or handshakes that they must learn, and they believe that after they die that there are going to be angelic sentinels guarding the path back to Heavenly Father. And the only way that they can get past these angelic sentinels is by knowing these passwords and these handshakes. 
This is why the ceremony is kept secret. Now, Mormons will say it's not secret, it's sacred, but Mm. that argument is really not a very good argument, since the early ceremonies, like prior to 1990, for instance, it actually said that there were obligations of secrecy. That was the word that was used in the endowment dialogue itself. So going up to a Latter-day Saint, and saying, let's talk about your temple ceremony, is not going to be a very good way to start off a conversation, (laughs) because Mormons don't talk about the ceremony. They make vows not to talk about it. So I don't think it would be good form to try and compel them to talk about something that they promise not to talk about. There's plenty of things that we can discuss with our LDS friends without getting into that. In the temple ceremony itself, it said that the garment is going to be a protection for them. And this is where the phrase magic underwear has been used by pundits Mm -hmm. and and some very insensitive uh, comedians when it comes to this. Um, It's not really magic underwear, but Mormon leaders have taught that it does have some kind of protective power, either spiritual or physical, for the Latter-day Saint who wears the garment. Mm. There's nothing biblical to support that. Certainly the endowment ceremony looks very similar to what you would find in a Masonic ceremony. That makes sense because Joseph Smith was a member of the Masonic Lodge before he died. In fact, Mm -hmm. about a month after he became a Mason, he starts the Mormon Temple Endowment Mm -hmm. Ceremony, which looked very similar to what he had learned in Masonry. So there is a connection Mm -hmm. there. Well, that's that's good. And and again... um, um, maybe as we uh, finish out the program, and we have some, uh, a little bit of time left um, to transition from some of the stranger teachings to just how do we respond in love to the Mormons? And I know we may have some active Mormons or maybe some Mormons that aren't so active listening today. Maybe they just accidentally heard the program. Uh, can they contact your ministry? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we they could write us at our email address at contact at mrm.org. I'd love to talk to them. We get a lot of struggling Latter-day Saints who write us and have mm-hmm. questions. Uh, we have a lot of Mormons who just want to argue. Some of them yeah. actually listen to us, some well, don't, good. but yeah. you know, at least we try. But you, you raise a good point. Sometimes we look at the Latter-day Saints, sadly, as being some kind of enemy, and yeah, I don't yeah. think that's right. No. Uh, We have to understand that a lot of these people, this is all they've ever known. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of Mormons, especially here where I live in Utah, they they were born in this system. This is all, as far as religion is concerned, this is all they've ever known. And everybody they know is a Mormon. Everybody. Mm -hmm. I mean, they are surrounded by it. And so when someone comes in from the outside and starts challenging some of their truth claims, you can understand that a Mormon is naturally going to be defensive. This is why we often tell people, never, never accuse a Mormon of believing anything. Always ask them what they believe, to find out Mm -hmm. where they are as an individual, not where they probably should be as a Mormon Mm -hmm. who's supposed to believe certain things, because we find that many Latter-day Saints, uh, oftentimes they don't know their own history, they don't even know a lot of their own doctrines, and they may be just unaware of some of these things. So if a Christian comes on too strong, 
and starts hammering a lot of these things, you can understand why they would probably be less apt to want to discuss these issues mm-hmm. with you. Mm-hmm. So asking questions is usually the least offensive way of approaching them on this. I think one of the other things our listeners might want to know is that there are no trained pastors in the Mormon church. Tell us no. how the leaders become leaders. Yeah, they have a, a, a lay leadership. Uh, the bishop, for instance, uh, in the local wards or congregations, as they call them, works a full-time job and probably has nothing to do with theology. In fact, I would almost guarantee it has nothing mm-hmm. to do with theology. And here they are trying to fill the role of what we would probably equate with a pastor. Right. But they don't have a paid ministry on the local level. Now, what is a little deceptive, however, is how they insist they don't have a paid ministry at all. And that's really not true. I mean, you have full-time leaders downtown in Salt Lake City that work for the church all the time. The Mormon needs to ask themselves, well, how do those people pay their gas and electric bill Mm -hmm. if they're not getting paid by the church? There is a payroll department at the church. You can go in church headquarters and see the sign on the door. Mm -hmm. And so we have to assume that they are getting income from some source. Now, the Mormon church doesn't release those numbers. There's rumors that have been floating all over the Internet that they do, and the the amounts are quite substantial. But usually if a Mormon insists they don't have a paid ministry and you ask the very question that I just asked, they'll usually come back and say, well, yeah, they do get a stipend. Well, you see what they just did? They Mm -hmm. just went from getting nothing to now getting a stipend. Well, what's a stipend? (laughs) I mean, that's payment for services, isn't it? Right. Bill, Uh, we have about less than two minutes left. Sure. What else do you want to share with our listeners, especially as they respond in love to a Mormon that they might know, or maybe that's even in their family? Well, one of the things that I like to do is get right to the heart of the matter on whether or not the individual is a Christian or not. And instead of going through all the things that a Christian should and should not believe, I ask a very simple question. There is one attribute that all Christians share. Every single one of us, as Bible-believing Christians, share one attribute, and that is the forgiveness of sins. Mm -hmm. I often ask Latter-day Saints, do you have the assurance that if you were to die right now that all your sins are forgiven and you would get the best the Mormon religion has for you? You would be surprised. Very rarely will a Mormon be assured that their sins are forgiven. This is because there are so many things that they must do in order to achieve forgiveness they know in their heart of hearts that they're probably not there yet. Mm. If they don't know they're forgiven, I would question their claim of Christianity, not just for Mormons, but for anybody. Anybody, yeah. Because Matthew one twenty one makes it very clear that Jesus came to save his people from their sins. Mm-hmm. If you don't know if your sins are forgiven, it's presumptuous for you to assume that you are one of his people. We can know this. These things are written that we might know that we have eternal life. This life is in his Son. If a Latter-day doesn't know that, they need to be asked about that, challenged on that. We want them to know. We want them to place their trust in the Jesus of the Bible and have that assurance of forgiveness. All right. My guest has been Bill McKeever of Mormon Research Ministry. This is Kay Meyer with Family Shield. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Family Shield, a radio production of Family Shield Ministries. Its mission is to educate and equip people to know Christ, grow in His Word, and strengthen individuals and their families. 
To learn how you can obtain resources or support the ministry, go to www.familyshieldministries.com or write Family Shield Ministries, P.O. Box 230015, St. Louis, Missouri 63123 or call 1-877-317-4326. A CD of today's program is available upon request. Tune in next week for more Family Shield.